Good morning. Glad you could join us as always. It's good to come together and spend a little time in the morning in the Word of God. And uh, I invite you today to go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 12. Now, this is a, a wonderful, wonderful passage, and hopefully in even just a brief time, we can bring some things out of it that, uh, that are uh, meaningful and thought-provoking and, and ultimately find a place to work themselves out in our lives. And so that being said, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12, where Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, I beseech you, or I beg you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this is, uh, again, a, a wonderfully meaningful passage, and it's a challenging passage as well. As we dive into it, we'll see this. But this passage finds itself couched between the, uh, the uh, as Paul would describe it, this um, uh, the unsearchable uh, 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 knowledge and wisdom of God in chapters 9 through 11, where we have this um, incredible passage that describes these incredibly deep things, uh, not only about God's relationship with Israel, but how he uses his relationship with them and his promises to them as a basis by which we can learn to trust that he'll uphold his promises to us. And we talk about subjects like sovereignty and all these things in chapters 9 through 11. It's a deep and rich, meaningful passage. And then <clears throat> on the other side of <clears throat> Romans 12, 1 and 2 is, is the rest of the book of Romans, which is very, very practical. And Paul talks now about having gone to sort of the mountaintop and, and seeing this, the, these incredible uh, deep things of God. All of a sudden now we come sort of back down to earth and we, we sort of uh, now recognize what this means to us practically and how we live these things out. <clears throat> well, the bridge between these two ideas, between these two uh, directions is Romans 12, 1 and 2, where God, uh, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, uh, cries out to us to ultimately present our bodies to him separate as an offering to him and separate from the world. And so, um, so let's look at this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and of course, brothers and sisters to fellow believers, uh, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable or well-pleasing. Uh, present your bodies. Notice the very practical nature of this. These are lofty spiritual truths that have led us to this point, but now it becomes a, a, a matter of a practical response. Um, present your bodies. That word present there is a, is a word that would find a home in the idea of a priest offering something. Uh, the idea here in this picture that Paul is painting is exactly that, that of an offering. Uh, in the Old Testament, under the Levitical system, uh, there would be animals that would be brought for various kinds of offerings, whether it would be uh, for offerings of cleansing or peace offering or the burnt offering uh, and all of this. You would bring an animal that, that, that would be slain and would be offered. Well, here Paul is using that picture, but instead of a slain offering, he's talking about us presenting ourselves as a living offering, a living sacrifice. Something that, uh, as it were, if we can follow the picture, the idea is that of putting ourselves on the altar as an offering to God. Now, there is, uh, by the way, some discussion about what offering Paul has in mind here. Um, oftentimes, it's seen that he uh, has in view like the burnt offering. 
which may very well be, and uh, it seems to follow pretty nicely if, if so. But we can be, definitely from the context surmise that Paul's intent in using this illustration of an offering, speak, uh, he is trying to get across this idea of consecration, the idea of being wholly given over to God. Uh, if in fact it was the burnt offering, then like some of the other offerings as well, but this one in particular was recognized as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And so, um, you know, the idea of being wholly consumed for him and given over totally to him uh, is something that is clearly in view here. And this is where it becomes challenging, right? Because it's, it's, uh, it's one thing to claim the name of Christ and to live a, a life pretty much in accordance with that by and large, but the idea of wholly consumed by him, given over fully to him, that becomes something that, um, that involves surrender and sacrifice. It involves uh, a dying to self. But isn't that exactly what Jesus talked about? Uh, when he talked about, if anyone would follow me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and come follow me. Well, that, that idea of taking up our cross speaks of the idea of dying to self. Uh, the cross, the crucifixion, spoke of death. It spoke of the end of life. Uh, and in, in the picture that Jesus draws here, he says, let him take up his cross and follow me. Well, if we're taking up our cross, the implication in this, metaphorically at least, uh, is that we are taking that cross and we are going to the hill to die. And that is that the old person ultimately is put down. Uh, and now there is this total given over to him because the old self is gone. Um, there is uh, a lot of example of this throughout the New Testament. Uh, even baptism, very familiar uh, picture and activity in the body of Christ. Uh, when someone comes to faith, we baptize them. And that baptism is through immersion. Uh, I know different traditions practice different things, but baptism from a biblical standpoint, if we're going to be straight up with what uh, the practice was, you would, you would literally put someone down into the water, and that would signify uh, their death. That would signify the dying of the old man. And then you would bring them back up out of the water, and that would signify this rising to new life. And, uh, and in that picture, uh, just to continue the thought, Paul later on, when talking about the newness of life that a believer experiences, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he spoke about how, behold, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, come look, come check it out. See for yourself, all things have become new. And the idea here of this newness of life and this deadness of the old life is something that is right at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so here in the, in the passage in Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Um, you know, we talk about commitment at this level, and you've probably heard this joke a thousand times, but, uh, you know, when we talk about this kind of commitment and this idea of a living sacrifice being put on the altar, uh, the old expression goes, well, the, the danger in putting a living sacrifice on the altar is that it has a habit of wanting to crawl off the altar. Um, but if we understand uh, uh, this, this, what this is all about, and we understand the privilege and beautiful gift it is to be wholly surrendered to God, then we don't really want to crawl off the altar. We want to stay there as a fully consecrated thing to the Lord. Um, at the risk of pushing the analogy a little further than maybe Paul intended, um, we're also called a kingdom of priests in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, for example. 
Um, the, the idea of the priesthood of all believers is something that is a part of the Christian life, which means that you and I, as, uh, as those indwelt by the Holy Spirit, are, are sort of set apart under this kind of a priesthood. It's different than the Levitical priesthood, though. But the reason I bring this up, and I don't mean to get too much into this whole sidetrack, but I just want to bring up the idea that for a priest to bring an offering to the Lord was a tremendous privilege. It was a wonderful gift of an opportunity to bring something before the Lord that would be pleasing to him. Well, in this analogy, we are the offering that we're presenting to him. But as priests of the Lord, it's sort of like we have this beautiful privilege of bringing this offering as well. And we should see this as a gift, as a beautiful privilege. Because remember, we're talking about offering ourselves to the Lord, not offering ourselves to some career path or some pursuit in life that we think will deliver some kind of a thing and then let us down eventually. No, instead, what we're doing is giving ourselves wholly over to him. This is something that is a gift. It is a beautiful privilege. And if we, if we really allow our relationship with God to grow to that place of, of, of surrendering day by day, we begin to see it that way. Uh, it's no longer so much what it costs me as much as it's what can I give. And uh, it's like the old story of the, uh, the, the, the preacher who came to a really poor town and he was doing a revival meeting and, and all this kind of thing. And so during the course of the meeting, they would pass the offering plate around. And, the, and this evangelist was talking about giving your best and giving it all to God and everything. And, and they'd pass the plate and everything. Well, the plate came to uh, this one gentleman who was really, really poor and he had no money. He came to the meeting because he wanted to hear about revival and everything, but he didn't have anything to give. And so when the, the offering plate came to him, he gave the only thing he could and he put it on the ground and he stood in it. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, you know, it, again, not to digress, but it's not about money. It's not about any of those things. Paul says, present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, set apart for him, uh, uh, holy and um, acceptable, or that word acceptable means to be well-pleasing to God. And it is well-pleasing to God. It is a sweet-smelling aroma when we put ourselves metaphorically on the altar right there and give ourselves wholly over to him. It pleases him and blesses him. Um, and so, um, and Paul goes on here to say that uh, this is your spiritual worship or your reasonable or rational, rational act of, of worship, of service. And the words there, uh, 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 the word reasonable or rational, uh, or here, as it's in my uh, uh, ESV, spiritual, the word there is uh, the root word from the word logos, or reasonable uh, is the idea. It's something that is a rational thing to do. Uh, and, and then uh, uh, worship is actually not the, um, the way we think of worship and just lifting our hands in praise. But it's where we get our word liturgy from. It's the word worship that involves the service of a priest again. And this is our rational act of service in worship. In other words, it makes perfect sense that having gone to the mountaintop to consider the deep things of God and to recognize how awesome and worthy of worship he is, it becomes a very reasonable, rational thing for us to respond by putting ourselves on the altar to this magnificent, lofty God and say, I'm all yours. And that's what Romans chapter 12, 1 speaks about. Now, the challenge to this is something Paul addresses in Romans 12, verse 2, where he goes on to say again, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing or by proving you may dis or by testing you may discern or prove what is the will of God, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to the world. Uh, and the word there is an active one. In other words, stop being conformed to the world. Don't continue going down that path is what Paul is saying here. Don't be conformed to this world or to this age, to the mindsets of this world around us. Don't be conformed to the way the world is. Uh, I think I mentioned it yesterday, but there's this passage uh, toward the, uh, later in the book of Revelation where God calls to his people to come out of her. And it's out of this world system and uh, this Babylon system of, of, uh, of the world. God calls his people out of it. And, and that's what's in view here, this idea that you're not of this world anymore. You might be in it, as Jesus said in, in John 17, you're in this world, but you're not of this world anymore. And so therefore, stop being conformed to it. No longer go down that path where you are continually becoming more and more like the world around you. One of the beautiful things of the Christian life is how different the Christian is from the world around him or her. Um, which one, you know, how many of us? Hopefully, you know, most of us at some point, somebody who knew us before we were Christian recognized that a change had taken place and they acknowledged it. And they said something like, what happened to you? You used to go do all this stuff, you used to party, you used to drink, you used to do whatever you did. And now all of a sudden you're not. Ha, what happened? Well, that's a great compliment when someone pays that to you because that means that you're walking in the ways of the world and you're becoming more like it has stopped and you're starting now to become more like the kingdom of God. You're becoming more like a citizen of your new citizenship, a citizen of heaven. Uh, and that's a good thing. And that's something we have to, on one hand, rely on the Holy Spirit's working within us. But on the other hand, we also, by the grace of God, want to make better choices about how we pour what we pour ourselves into don't continue being conformed into that way but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind okay these are things again that become the fruit of the holy spirit's working in our lives but there's also a part that we play by walking away from the things that rob us of that opportunity to grow in this direction and so it's kind of like if you're on a diet you know your body does what it does is it's nourished but you still have to choose, you know, as you're eating good food and everything, but you still have to kind of choose to walk away from Krispy Kreme or Dunkin' Donuts, right? If you keep going there, then you're going to be doing things that are counterproductive to you becoming healthy. Well, the Holy Spirit's working within us, but that doesn't mean we can't still go and go uh, get involved in things that are going to short-circuit that in some way or, 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 or undermine that. So don't be conformed. Stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transform there is, is where we get our word metamorphosis from, and it is significantly the same word that is used of Jesus in the transfiguration in Matthew 17, where all of a sudden as he's, 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 he's standing there, the, the Peter, James, and John, the disciples have fallen asleep. When they open their eyes and they see what's going on, there's Jesus standing with Moses and Elijah, but Jesus is different. All of a sudden, the this earthly uh, uh, you know, flesh or, you know, somehow, what, whatever in that moment took place, he was metamorphosized before them and they saw him in his glory for that brief little bit. And that same, that idea of, of who he really is being on full display, that glorious 
uh, person, Christ, is standing before them, no longer standing simply in terms of his earthly uh, flesh in that, but he's transformed before them. He's had a metamorphosis. Well, there's something akin to that in the life of a believer. As we are transformed, or like Peter would say, from glory to glory, this idea of moving in that direction, uh, away from, from those things of the flesh that so, that so pull us away from the Lord, but instead giving God that space in our lives and making choices that continue to give that space that allow us to be transformed further and further into the image of Christ. Now again, this sounds lofty, doesn't it? But you know, uh, that, that's, that's a beautiful joy in the Christian life. It's, it's what is a reasonable response to what God has done for us and who God is, most of all. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, that you're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And the idea here is that of physically giving ourselves over to the Lord and giving him the space that he so desperately, not desperately, but that he so wants to have in our lives to ultimately make us more like Jesus. Now, when Paul here talks about um, the renewing, I guess I shouldn't just move on, the renewing of our minds, uh, or the Christian faith is not just one that's a heart issue, it is a full transformation issue, which means the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we see the world, our worldview, the way that we interact with the world, everything about us, both heart and mind, is transformed further and further into the image of Christ. And the mind is a really important part of, of, of our devotion to God. It's not just a heart devotion, but Jesus invited us to not only love the Lord our God with all of our, uh, our heart, soul, and strength, but also with our mind, right? And so loving God with our minds and worshiping with our minds intelligently is a really central part of the Christian life. That's the invitation God gives us. What did he say in Isaiah? Come, let us reason together, right? Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll make them white as snow. Uh, in other words, stop and think about this. Consider this. Let's interact on this. Let's, you know, uh, uh, approach this thing not only with our hearts, but let's think this through. And so using our minds in our, in our faith is a central thing as well. And this is something that God seeks to renew as we walk with him. Well, again, as we bring this to a close here, that you may discern what is the will of God, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that you may discern, prove, that you might examine and recognize uh, what is the will of God. And the idea here is that you would then surrender to it. Now, we've talked about the will of God previously, of course, not comprehensively because it's such a gigantic topic, but the idea of understanding and knowing the will of God, at least in a general sense from the scriptures, is something that we can do. We can know what God's nature is, what he would have of us, and what he would not have of us. To know the will of God and to walk in his ways is something that is very attainable for a believer. Uh, to know it, to walk in it, of course, is the challenge. But God has given us his word, and so therefore, as we study it, we know what his will is, and then we can respond to it. And that's the idea here, is that we would examine and recognize the will of God, but it's for the purpose then of living in it. After all, haven't we just given ourselves to him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, well-pleasing to him? And this is our rational, reasonable, uh, spiritual act and service of worship. And so a lofty passage, no doubt. This is something that certainly much more could be said on. And my, my hope is that you'll take this passage and read it through and pray about it, meditate on it, scripturally speaking, and not just empty your mind, but flood your mind with this passage and consider those things 
that connect with it, that we might understand it as fully as we can, and then ultimately that we might live it out. But let me pray us out here as we finish today, and hopefully again, that's something to think and pray about uh, as, as, uh, as you go through your day and as you continue to walk with Jesus. So uh, boy, I, honestly, I would, I would keep going on this passage. It's one of my favorites, but, um, but I wanna stop there for now and sort of leave it to you now to go into that passage and consider uh, the things that, that it says to us here as, we, uh, as we've read it today. So Father, we thank you for this passage. And uh, uh, Lord, passages like this, uh, on the one hand, are challenging because they invite us to lay ourselves down on the altar, to say goodbye daily uh, to the old man, even as Jesus said to take up our cross daily. This idea of, of dying to self and instead living fully for you and allowing you to have that place to live fully through us. Uh, Father, is just such a wonderful, wonderful, incredible thing to consider and to participate in. Um, but at the same time, we know it is challenging, Father. There are things in this world that are tempting to us. There are things that we're drawn to that, that do pull us away from you. And so, Father, each day we just pray that you would help us to sort of renew that sense of purpose in laying ourselves on the altar, to, again, daily take up our cross um, and not see that as a burden, but to see it as a privilege, to see it as a gift, to see it as a beautiful opportunity to enter into fellowship with you that is deep and rich and meaningful daily. And that, Father, we wouldn't let anything get in the way of that. Father, we praise you and we bless you and ask you to help us in these things, help us to understand them and to live them out. Father, we praise you and bless you. You're worthy of all of this, and so help us to be willing to give it. In Jesus' name, amen.